Hello everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, February 14th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson, I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film writers Huai Tran Bui. Hey everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello folks. Alright guys, let's jump right into it. It's Friday, it's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to both of you and to all of our listeners out there. I know uh, we talked about this on the water cooler episode yesterday, but I don't think any of us are really doing anything. So uh, I guess (laughs) congratulations to us. It'll be nice to have uh, a nice evening and not really worry about stressing out over plans and all of that stuff. So uh, let's jump right into it. Chris, yesterday, um, as the... uh, as Team Slash Film was sort of closing its virtual doors for the day, Matt Reeves decided to kick them wide open by releasing some footage online. What happened? What's going on? What did we see? Yes, I, uh, I'd already clocked out. I had put on my hat and my trench coat, and I was halfway to the subway when Matt Reeves uh, dropped this, this uh, test footage, this camera test footage of Robert Pattinson as, as Batman. And... Uh, it was very dark and very red and very moody, and uh, we don't really see the entire bat suit, but we get to see pretty much um, like the like the upper torso to the head. But oddly enough, we don't see the ears, which is like a very odd choice. They did not show the Batman ears for some reason. But uh, for you know, for all intents and purposes, it looks like Batman. It looks pretty much like we would expect. Um, it's a little armory looking, which. It's kind of a bummer. I was hoping for them to kind of move away from that, but I guess they're not. Uh, The mask, you can actually see some like stitching on the mask, which I think is kind of cool. It gives it sort of like a a homemade vibe, even though that doesn't kind of match with the armor. But uh, yeah, I mean, it looks like Robert Pattinson as Batman. He's got a good jawline for that. And that's kind of like the biggest requirement to play Batman. And he certainly has that. The red lighting, I I mean, with that um, sort of bathing this whole video i couldn't help but think about uh daredevil even though that show you know i guess your mileage may vary on the quality of that show but the look of it it sort of looks similar here and what do you think about the the design of this suit chris because like there's a a big collar that goes up in the back that seems to be protecting his neck and um so i I guess address that first and then there's one other thing that i want to talk to do uh talk to you about before we move on from this topic well, that's like it's Batman's popped collar. It's like he's wearing a cool polo shirt and he's popped a <laughs> collar. Um, I, you know, from what I can see, I don't think it looks bad. I, I'd like to see the entire thing. I'd also like to see it in, mo- you know, in motion because that's I feel like that's the real test because, you know, a bat suit can look cool standing still. But like, it, you know, like the Michael Keaton Batman suit, that looks really cool, but. When you watch him move in it, it's it's a little awkward because it's very rubbery. He couldn't turn his head, like so. Uh, you know, I I really would like to see it in motion before I pass full judgment. But I don't think it looks bad by any you know stretch of the imagination. What do you think if they? What would you think if they don't have ears on this suit at all? Like, do you think that there's a uh, a chance that they purposefully framed that out because they're hiding it from us for some sort of like reveal that they're doing like a an unconventional take on the bat suit by not having ears on the cowl? I mean, I can't imagine them not doing that, but yeah, like I said, it's a very odd choice to not show the ears. I don't know. Maybe they're like insanely long. Like they're <laughs> they're like ten feet long ears. Just like 
<laughs> I would love that. Um, HT, what do you think about the the look of this? I like it. I like. I mean, I do think that we we've done the armor look many times, and it'd be nice to get away from it, especially since the Matt Reeves version is supposedly supposed is supposed to to be um, emphasizing his detective side of Batman more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, like, if that would necessarily jibe with like the whole tactile armor part of it but uh i like how sleek it is i like i don't know what i think about the pop collar yet i'm thinking for now that it might just be part of his cape and which would be a really interesting sort of dramatic swoop for the cape and Mm -hmm. i I like that idea too um i also want to note that uh online people are speculating uh have come to accept rather that the um the bat's uh, insignia on his chest is made from the gun of the of the person who shot his parents, uh, which has not been confirmed. I just want to say that. Yes, um, that's and... driving me insane. I was going to bring that up. HT, where did that come? Like, I think as far as I could tell, it was just like somebody on Twitter was like, wow, that's really cool that that happened. And it seemed like people were taking this as fact. That doesn't make any sense, does it? No. It doesn't? Um... <laughs> Yeah, I think it's because yeah, someone on Twitter was like, "Oh, that's the gun that the that shot Bruce Wayne's parents," uh, because part of it does look a little bit like a gun handle, um, and I wouldn't put it past Batman, the extra emo, um, sad boy that he is, to do that. But it is a little bit. There, just... there is there is a precedent for that in the co- like a comic that Kevin Smith wrote, of course, has a thing where Batman takes the gun and he puts it like behind. The bat symbol. It's not like made out of the bat symbol, but it's like sort of like behind it. And I, that's such a dumb, like <laughs> teenager thing to come up with. And I, I'm not shocked that Kevin Smith is the one that came up with that. But the fact that some random guy on Twitter or person, I don't know if it was a guy, random person on Twitter just said that as fact. And then it got like a billion retweets. It's, it's literally like driving me nuts because no one, no one has said that's that what that is. And everyone's like accepting it. I just don't understand the, like, you know, Bruce Wayne was a child when his parents were gunned down in front of him. Did he hunt down the person? And that person happened to have the same weapon. All yeah, these like, years what, later. How did he get the, like that? Like I, if that is, I want that in the movie. Like the first hour should be him trying to find the gun that killed his parents 20 years ago or whatever i actually like that idea (laughs) do you know chris did you read enough about the kevin smith comic to know if like how that worked in that comic i know you you mentioned that no i just i just saw a a panel from it i didn't read the whole story and it's it fills me with disgust so i don't want to (laughs) know <laughs> All right, fair enough. Well, if anybody else has any theories about, you know, what the uh if there's any other I don't like think it even looks like a gun. That's what's driving me nuts. Like it looks like a pocket knife maybe. It's got that little like clip that you clip onto your belt. Like guns don't have that. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if anybody else has any theories or any other um I don't know, speculation as to what this might be, if it is indeed anything other than just like cool tech looking you know, metal carved into the shape of a bat, then uh, send us an email at peter at slash Let us know what you think. Or if you have some sort of um, theory about how Bruce Wayne could have tracked down that gun, I would love to hear that too. Uh, okay, let's move on to our next story, which is uh, Stranger Things 4 released a, uh, I guess a teaser today um, on Valentine's Day from Russia with Love, uh, say the the Duffer brothers. Uh, HD, what does this uh, teaser tell us? 
Well, it's harboring quite a big character reveal. And I can't ah. take credit for that joke because Chris actually said that and I, I jumped on that. I hopped on it, you might say. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Hopper's back. Uh, Stranger Things 4 came out with a new teaser, and the teaser shows uh, a Russian prison camp of sorts in this wintry tundra, showing a, a group of prisoners who are attempting to build a railway, it seems. And um, as the camera pans through this prison camp, uh, it's revealed to, sh- to see- show that um, David Harbour's character, Jim Hopper, is very much alive. He's not doing very well. He is imprisoned by the Russians and uh, seems to be forced to be doing forced labor, but um, he is alive, uh, unlike what we all thought or you know, what the show wanted us to think at the end of Stranger Things season three when uh, Hopper was caught in an explosion that closed the door to the upside down. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so weird the way that the show has played that plot point because... Yes, at one point at the very end of season three, it does sort of imply that Hopper is dead. But then there's like this post-credits scene or, or uh, epilogue sort of moment to the season where it's mentioned that there's an American who is in Russia. And it's like so obviously him. And now they're just like, uh, I don't know, like spoiling their own reveal. It's like, what, what was the point of even setting it up this way? Chris, do you have any thoughts on this as somebody? You watched the third season of Stranger Things, right? Right. And I actually did an interview with David Harbour when the season dropped and he pretty much flat out told me like, ah, oh, Har- uh, Hopper's not dead. And I put that I put that in the interview. So it really wasn't a big secret. At the same time, I appreciate them not trying to like bullshit us for like an entire year. Like, yeah. Like because I feel like they realized everyone knew deep down that there was no way they would really kill that character off. So I kind of appreciate they, they didn't do like a Game of Thrones thing where like, oh, He's really dead, wink, wink, and then he comes back. Like, all right, we knew that was going to happen, so shut up. Yeah. Uh, HC, what do you think? Did you watch, have you caught up with uh, the third uh, season? Yeah, yeah. No, I really liked um, the third season of Stranger Things more so than season two. Um, And yeah, I I did not for a second believe that Hopper was dead, especially after we saw that post-credit scene. Um, And it was the tease of the American who was being imprisoned by the Russians. And uh, I remember there were some theories that the American could have been um the uh matthew modine's character Mm -hmm. um but uh it was very clear that like especially once chris's interview came up and the cast was talking about it that it was jim hopper yeah um there's a moment or uh, i guess the the duffer brothers released a statement along with this teaser and they said um uh, blah 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 he's in prison far from home in the snowy wasteland of Kamchatka where he will face dangers both human dot 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 and other meanwhile back in the states a new horror is beginning to surface something long buried something that connects everything so um, I guess with that little tease of what we can expect in Stranger Things 4 do either of you have any ideas of what this uh, long buried secret is that could potentially connect everything do you have any any uh, inklings of an idea about what that might be? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't really I either. None. I was trying to think really hard about it before we recorded, and I couldn't come up with anything. And I was hoping that you two might be able to, off the top of your heads, just spin some gold for me. But uh... I mean, there was that uh, Stranger Things comic that came out recently that was hinting that uh, Russia had their own sort of secret program that experimented on children and that there was going to be a Russian equivalent to Eleven. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be do, uh, having to do with the whatever was long buried in Hawkins, but mm. 
yeah, you know, I'm, that's probably something is going to happen uh, that's related to that. Yeah, you know. I can. Uh, well, I mean, at least that's something, HT. I appreciate that. That's uh, at least, yeah, maybe somebody can draw a line from from Russia to that, and and maybe um, something will emerge there. So, uh, we don't know when Stranger Things four is going to come out, right? I don't think it has a release date, or did this uh, teaser reveal one? No, it did not. Okay. We don't have a release date yet. Okay, sometime this year, we can assume. I think. Yeah, sometime this year. Maybe next year. We're not sure yet, so it's all uh, unconfirmed. Okay. I all think right. they're just, like, this was announcing they just started production. So if it does come this year, it probably won't be till like, the end of the year. Okay. Yeah, maybe fall or something like that. Um, okay, let's move on to our next story, which is a, a Goonies TV series, but not exactly. Chris, what's the what's going on with this? Oh, boy, this story. Uh, <laughs> this is, uh, Fox is it ordered a pilot for a show, um... Uh, about a teacher who moves back home after her life falls apart and uh, she befriends her students and her students are planning to make a shot for shot remake of, of the Goonies and she helps them out with it. And I, this whole idea, I just, I, I'm unhappy with all of this. This is a bad idea. <laughs> I, I just like, look between this and, and the mighty ducks TV show, it's like, can't we just get something like new? I'm just so tired of everything is nostalgia. But at the same time, it's like, I also feel like a few years ago, there was this documentary called like Raiders, the greatest fan film ever made. And it was about these high school friends or like not even high school, but like they, they were grade school friends and they basically spent 25 years shooting a shot for shot remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I can't help but feel like, Someone saw that documentary and was like, that's a good idea, but I don't want to pay these people the rights to their life story. And yeah. they were just like, uh, The Goonies, that's another movie that people love. Let's do that. And that's yeah. why I, I'm almost positive that's what happened here. I was thinking the same thing. I feel like those guys deserve some sort of cut of whatever profits the show ends up making because it's so clearly inspired by, you know, that because that, that story about the Raiders um, – uh, shot for shot remake was such a big deal for a long time like it was there were rumblings about it like tapes of the actual uh of their remake were being passed around hollywood and stuff you know in, in through the hands of big name people i think eli roth and uh, guillermo del toro had copies of it at one point and then yeah they they made that documentary just a couple years ago um so that sort of like must have uh brought it even to a wider audience and then yes this is happening chris i'm right there with you in terms of like the nostalgia stuff in our culture it's like we're way past the point of overload it's like you know it's gone to 11 and beyond i think at this point but at the same time i'm like i guess if they are going to do something like this i appreciate this approach instead of just we're making a goonies tv show like a straight ahead you know yeah. adaptation or remake or something ht what do you think about this yeah, I'm actually with you on that, Ben, because I am so tired of all the remakes and the nostalgia, but I think this is actually a, a really sweet and sort of self-aware way of, of tapping into that by making it just about the kids trying to do a shot-for-shot shot remake. It feels like a something that has the potential to be a, um, a sweet, you know, coming-of-age, uh, you know, type of story, and um, I less about the Goonies itself rather than, than like about these kids. So, I actually haven't heard of this documentary about the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I I want to check it out now, but um, if it's going to form the template for this, uh, I it could be something that's you know 
uh, transcends whatever nostalgia baiting that this uh, project has. Yeah. Also, do like do kids these days care about the Goonies? I feel like that's such like a thing that like thirty year olds care about. Like, do kids in school right now even give a shit about the Goonies? I feel like the answer is no. I could that be wrong. is a, a really good point. <laughs> I feel like that kids these days would be trying to do you know a shot for shot remake of. Uh... I don't know, something that came out way more recently, like Creed or something. Like uh, there, there's, a, <laughs> yes. there's a moment, there's a moment in, um, uh, to all the boys, PS, I still love you. Um, HT, you might remember this where remember this. one yeah. of the characters is like, Oh yeah. When I was in fifth grade, I was obsessed with, uh, Michael B. Jordan and Creed. And I had to like pause the movie with my wife my and be like, wait a second. <laughs> this kid was in fifth grade when that movie came out. That was like 2015. Like, what the hell is going on here? So, yeah, um, I don't I, know. I, I will say, uh, I do wonder if The Goonies is just one of those properties that sort of uh, it gets passed down as a, a thing that you grow up with. Because I did grow up watching The Goonies because my parents and my uh, relatives loved it so much that they gave it to me as a, as a young kid and I would watch it over and over again and I wonder if it's like that the princess bride and other sort of like friends too has like that kind of similar uh generate cross generational kind of appeal and I mm-hmm. wonder if the goonies has that so maybe I don't know I I don't know about kids these days either actually I'll ask my teen uh zenial cousins yeah <laughs> Yes, please do and report back. See if they give a crap about the Goonies these days. Uh, All right, let's move to our next story, which is uh, Aladdin 2 is officially taking flight with uh, Guy Ritchie coming back to direct. HG, didn't we already know about this? Or or is this just like official, official confirmation? This is official, official confirmation. Uh, Yeah, Guy Ritchie is back to helm the sequel to Aladdin. um, And the studio has hired two writers uh, for this sequel. Um, They hired Andrea Burloff, who wrote Straight Outta Compton, and John Gatins. Uh, who wrote Flight uh, to map out the plot for Aladdin 2. In the report from The Hollywood Reporter, it actually is confirmed that uh, Disney is not going to be adapting the animated direct-to-video sequel, Return of Jafar, and they're instead looking to follow an entirely new story inspired by one of the stories in 1001 Nights. So um, while that that rules out... The Return of Jafar, which is just a basic revenge story of the villain Jafar returning. Um, It could potentially give us um, maybe an adaptation of um, Aladdin and the King of Thieves, which is the third Aladdin uh, direct-to-video film, or second Aladdin direct-to-video sequel, rather, Mm -hmm. and uh, introduced Aladdin's hot dad. So because um, Aladdin, the King of Thieves, adapted, you know, Ali Baba and the, and the 40 Thieves. And um, Aladdin's dad was one of these uh, 40 Thieves. And uh, it actually is a pretty solid direct-to-video sequel, I will say. Return to Jafar kind of is trash. But uh, Aladdin, the King of Thieves, not bad. Yeah, so, what, was, uh, what was Aladdin's dad's name? Was it Dad Aladdin? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I remember watching that uh, when I was a kid and thinking it was okay. I've not revisited it in a long, long time, but I'm glad that uh, that you look back upon it fondly as well. Yeah, I haven't revisited it either, so it might not be as good as I remembered, but it is one of the better direct-to-video sequels of, of Disney. Yeah. Um, Chris, what did you think of the uh, live-action Aladdin remake? I don't recall. It was fine. I mean, it wasn't, like, terrible. It was better than I thought it was going to be based on the trailers, which looked awful. But Mm -hmm. it was one of those movies, like, the minute it was over, I was like, "Ah, I forget everything I just saw. So it did not leave much of an impression with me. Yeah. 
I'm on the same boat as Chris. I was surpri- pleasantly surprised by how not terrible it was, but at the same time, it was just so instantly forgettable, especially all of the shot-for-shot, you know, uh, remakes of the uh, in the first half of the film. And um, it got better when it basically became Hitch 2. But uh, it's it's very clear that Guy Ritchie doesn't have a talent for directing musical sequences. So I guess with all of our, because re- I'm right there with you guys in terms of like reactions to the live action version. So with all of those reactions in mind, um, are you guys actually looking forward to this? Because I, I think against my better judgment, I kind of am because I think the the reason the, the reasons that I didn't really love the first movie were because of how slavish it was to recreating the moments that worked so much better in animation. But I really like the chemistry between Mina Masood, who I think was great, and Naomi Scott, I thought was awesome as Jasmine. Will Smith was a lot of fun too. So like with those characters, if they can like sort of recapture that chemistry and tell a completely new story, or at least um, <laughs> maybe they'll, they'll do a, a King of Thieves HT. But um, <laughs> I don't know, like, do you have more hope for an original story or potentially an original story with these actors reprising these roles than you did originally with like just them stepping into familiar characters, you know, doing a beat by beat kind of uh, uh, recreation. I have to say, even with the prospect of seeing Aladdin's hot dad and an adaptation to the King of Thieves, uh, I can't, I'm not that excited. I just um, I'm tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to end. Uh, Chris, what about you? No, I. <laughs> If they hired like a really exciting director, maybe, but I, I, I can't see that happening. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move to our next story, which is uh, the Masters of the Universe Netflix show, uh, one of many that they're developing. I think they're developing a uh, developing a live action show. Uh, this is the animated one. Um, has announced its voice cast, and it has a pretty impressive group of people attached to this thing. Chris, who is going to be a part of the show? Uh, lots of people. I'm not going to read the whole list because it's it's very very long. But there are there's there's a lot of impressive people part of this game. I mean, Sarah Michelle Geller is on it, and uh, Lena Headey. Headey. How do you say her name? Uh, Lena Headey, I think. Let's say that Lena Headey from Game of Thrones is in it. Uh, but I think the most exciting two names on this list, uh, other than Henry Rollins, I mean, who doesn't get excited for Henry Rollins, is <laughs> is uh, uh, Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy are both uh, part of the cast, and that makes this a uh, a Batman the Animated Series reunion. Uh, Mark Hamill is voicing Skeletor, and Kevin Conroy is voicing someone named Merman, who I can only assume is um, a merman of some sort. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Those guys are so great together, and they've—I think—they've uh, reprised those roles or sort of uh, met up again in the Batman universe and in different, um, you know, iterations of those characters and and across like some video games as well, if I'm remembering correctly. So um, it'll be really cool to see those two, uh, yeah, just like join forces again for a new animated series. Um, th- I think Lena Headey, if I'm remembering this right, was also in the. Um, God, what is the name? The Dark, uh, the Dark Crystal uh, TV show yes. that Netflix just did, and Mark Hamill did a voice for that too. So there's like multiple reunions going on here, and there, as you mentioned, there are a lot of people um, attached to this thing. I'm just now noticing that Griffin Newman is playing one of the characters. Griffin Newman is the host of, or the co-host of a, a really great movie podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David that I've been listening to for a long time. Um, and he's he's an actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff, but uh, that's really cool that he's in there. So, um, HT, are you excited about this? Do you care at 
at all about uh, Masters of the Universe and He-Man and all of that? Not really. Though I will say She-Ra is pretty good. Um, if that is at all like is an indicator for how Masters of the Universe will be. But I'm always down for Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy reuni- reunion. Uh, like you said, they've uh, reprised their characters of Joker and Batman several times in direct-to-video uh, releases for an- DC animated movies, as well as the Arkham video games. Uh, so they're always great. Mark Hamill always just knocks it out of the park whenever he's playing a villain of any kind. So him as Skeletor makes sense to me. Um, I have no idea who Merman is, but I just hope that <laughs> there is some sort of uh, face-off between Merman and Skeletor. Probably not, but, you know, that would be nice. Yeah, there's some really amusing character names here. And I, I think Peter grew up uh, paying attention to He-Man a lot more than I did. There there may be like a slight age gap or generational gap um, you know, between him and me and, and how big He-Man was, you know, in terms of the culture and toys and all of that stuff. I, I think I missed the the golden age of He-Man when I was growing up. But um, yeah, anyway, it sounds like there's a lot of really great people here. I'm curious to see what Kevin Smith is going to do with this property. I, I think I'll probably leave it to like the Masters of the Universe experts to uh, tell me if the show ends up being worth watching. But um, I, I don't, I'm not sure if this show has a release date yet, but the fact that they're just now announcing... Uh, voice cast leads me to believe that they may not have a date locked in quite yet, but uh, I'm sure we'll report back on more Masters of the Universe as uh, Netflix continues to develop these uh, iterations. So let's go into probably the worst story of the day, which is uh, a vertical format blockbuster movie is in development right now. HT, what is this and why is it happening? (laughs) Yeah, technology keeps evolving and our screens just keep getting smaller. Uh, a searching producer um, is develop. The searching producer is developing the world's first vertical format blockbuster with a film that is very aptly titled V2: Escape from Hell. It's uh, a Russian uh, production that is uh, a World War II film, and that we shot entirely in vertical format. It follows a captured Soviet pilot as he leads an escape from a German concentration camp by hijacking an aircraft. Uh, it's being produced by uh, Bazilov and Bowen Film in partnership with Russia's biggest mobile phone operator, and will release locally on its digital platform uh, as well as in theaters, supposedly. Which makes no s- a lot of parts of this story make no sense. The fact that this is a World War II film that is for some reason shot uh, in a vertical format, uh, which seems to just kind of negate all of the appeals of the vertical format, if there is any, because what I'm assuming the appeal of shooting in vertical format or like presenting something in vertical format is the extra realism of um, seeing events play out as if someone was shooting it on their phone. Uh, It's what Searching actually captured really well with the sort of screen life format um, and showed that John Cho talking to his computer screen could be a real riveting piece of work. But I don't at all see how this works um, with all the elements that it does. So yeah, it's a a little strange and um, it sounds terrible and we're all, you know, doomed to hell or something. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that that's the part that really I, I don't understand. Like, uh, so this comes from Tamir Bekmambetov, who, as you mentioned, is the producer of Searching. He's like this guy who created what they call screen life technology, which is um, the unfriended movies and all of that, where um, th- formally speaking, the images on the screen are they look like 
not only cell phone footage and, and laptop cameras and stuff like that, but like security cameras, like all sorts of uh, native feeds of different types of camera technology. So in World War II, yeah, it's not like somebody's going to be walking around like filming themselves in selfie mode vertically. So if it's just like a straight ahead narrative, why would they limit themselves just to the vertical format unless they're designing this specifically for phones, like for something like Quibi, even that it, you can rotate your, your phone and a lot of the content there will expand to be, you know, viewable in like landscape mode. And this sounds like it's not going to be the case for this. And why on earth would they put it in theaters just for like vertically? Chris, is this like your nightmare come to life? Yeah, I don't, everything about this seems weird. The fact that it's, I think the weirdest thing is the fact that it's, it's a world war two movie. Like if this were, modern time i don't understand why it be, you would shoot a world war ii movie like this i mean i don't i don't i don't want to be too judgmental because you know those those unfriended movies and searching those movies are are shockingly good they're not only are they good for being you know screen movies they're just good movies in general so maybe it can work but i don't i mean like the only thing i can think of is like they're going for like old timey Academy ratio, like the lighthouse, but <laughs> like even that, I, I just, I don't know what the point of this is. Yeah. I saw this movie at Sundance called spree with Joe Keery. And I think it got picked up. So it should be coming out sometime this year. So people can put it on their radar if they want. I was not a huge fan of it, but it did some interesting things um, in terms of like cinematography and all of that, where it had a lot of vertical video in it, but they did this thing where it was like split screen. So it really kind of filled up the entire, um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, like landscape, like widescreen uh, uh, movie screen that you're looking at. But there was like a vertical video of somebody, you know, doing a selfie mode kind of thing and, and talking into the camera or action following a character that way. But then there were like other feeds going on. So you're watching multiple things at once. And this, if if it's just a vertical format, you know, a screen in the center of a of a widescreen, I, I don't. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, I think I think this is a baffling one for all of us. So we'll have to see if this comes to the uh, to theaters in the U.S. HD, do you know if it has a U.S. release date or if it's just coming to theaters in Russia? Uh, does not have a U.S. release date yet. Okay, maybe we can send a freelancer out to Russia to check that out. I'm sure that'll be a good use of Slash Home's <laughs> budget. So, um, okay, let's finally get to our, our last story of the day, which is an in-sync movie is happening, but not a traditional one. HD, what's going on here? Yes, we're getting an in-sync movie, but it's not actually an in-sync movie. Uh, TriStar Pictures has acquired the rights to an untitled feature film about in-sync superfans who... Uh, pack into Winnebago RV to follow the boy band on tour in 2001. It's actually going to be a scripted film based on the true story of fans who did this exact thing. Um, and it uh, is supposed to be, it is uh, produced by Lance Bass, who is a former member of in sync and um will uh has no doesn't ha yet have a um director or cast but lance bass said that the music will be a major influence on the film and he hopes that it could come to life as a broadway production after the film adaptation comes out 
So yes, based on a real thing, uh, it says pitched as Girls Trip meets Peach, uh, Pitch Perfect. The film is based on the true story of two best friends from Park City, Utah, who used game show earnings to buy a motorhome and travel the U.S. to to follow Lance Bass and company, Justin Timberlake, J.C. Chazé, Joey Fatone, and Chris uh, Kirkpatrick on their fourth and final national tour. But it sounds like those the band members are not going to be in this movie. So Ishi, how do you make an NSYNC movie without the members of NSYNC in it? I mean, they're just it's going to be just following these two friends uh, and probably we'll get like the back of the heads of NSYNC, if perhaps played by someone else. Maybe they'll get um, Lance Bass to make a cameo, uh, which I think also is very funny that in this press in this uh, release. Um, Lance Bass is the first one mentioned and then like oh yeah also Justin Timberlake <laughs> right, <which> right. <laughs> yeah. but yeah um, I mean also just Justin Timberlake is uh, like, very much into his acting career at the moment so perhaps they could lure him in by getting him to do a cameo but it also is set in 2001 when they are much younger so um, it, 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 I wonder if they will have cameos at all but yeah it's um, it seems like it's more more focused on the girls and kind of this road trip uh, friendship film, which actually does sound kind of appealing. Uh, the in sync um, mentioned there is just kind of to uh, get people's get people's interest. But uh, it is interesting that Lance Bass hopes that this will become a Broadway production afterwards, despite it not yet being totally um, in stone yet. But uh, TriStar Pictures seems to be interested in the project, and they because they picked it up. So we'll see. Do you think? You know, oh, go ahead. There's a there's a movie from 1978 directed by Robert Zemeckis called I Want to Hold Your Hand and it's about these uh, teenagers who are trying to get into the Ed Sullivan Show to watch the Beatles mm. legendary performance and uh, Robert Zemeckis did this thing where you know anytime the Beatles are on screen it's like you see them from the back or he does this really cool shot where he shows like the camera of the Ed Sullivan Show shooting them and you see just their legs played by body doubles but the top half of the frame is the screen so it's the real beatles and like he like syncs up the movement so that that's one way to do it and as we all know the beatles are as good as in sync of course so that's good (laughs) (laughs) um well that's actually oh go ahead oh yeah i I was gonna say yeah that's a a way of uh finagling that uh shot because i remember i remember that shot like they he basically used like far away shots of body doubles and then used the actual footage from the performance on screens that were closer to the camera so yeah there's definitely a way of doing it like at like a concert they could have like the big the big blow-up screen is the real in sync and then the stage is is doubles there you go i figured it out for you movie (laughs) whose title i already forget yeah there's no title yet oh yeah um yeah i mean i think it would it, it seems like a requirement for them to have the rights to use NSYNC's music in this thing. Otherwise, it's just like a complete waste of time. So hopefully they can at least sort that out. Um, HT, do you think that if they do get, uh, you know, actual cameos from the real guys, that they would use like a digital de-aging technology to try to recapture their 2001 selves? I mean, we do have that technology now, so that's totally possible, especially <laughs> if, if they get everyone on board. And then, you know, that would definitely uh, get the, the fangirls into their seats. I just want to say I was more of a Backstreet Boys girl, so <laughs> I only have a minor investment in this. So you want it that way is what you're saying? Ah. Uh... <laughs> Ah, that's terrible. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. All right, let, <laughs> let's just end this episode. Uh, before we go, let's tell people where they can find more of our work online. Uh, HC, let's start with you. 
You can find me writing every day at SlashFilm.com. I'm on Twitter at HTranBui, and you can find my other podcast, the Millennial Falcon Podcast, on iTunes and Google Play. And Chris? Uh, SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. And I'll actually add in the other articles mentioned section of our show notes, uh, Chris, I'll put up your review of uh, Fantasy Island, which is out right now, and you went and saw this morning, right? Yes, there was not a press screening for me, and there was also not any Thursday night screenings, which is very rare. Usually, when there aren't a press screen, when there is no press screening, I go to a Thursday night screening. But uh, Blumhouse was so uh, <laughs> adamant to uh, keep this from critics, they didn't screen it last night, and I know why because it's terrible. <laughs> oh no! All right. Well, people can read that review in the show notes. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and you can find this podcast published every weekday bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on iTunes Google Podcasts Overcast Spotify all the popular podcast apps and send us your feedback questions comments and concerns at peter at slashfilm.com please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes tell your friends spread the word thank you for listening and we will talk to you on Monday.